Hi, and welcome to the Restore Body Balance podcast, where we combine psychology, biology, and neurology to enact life changes that stick. I'm Colleen Burns, founder of Restore Body Balance. And I'm Nico Yutanis, co-producer of this podcast. Today kicks off one of four episodes of a science series of how our brains work from breaking old habits and learning new ones to the secrets of happiness and reducing stress and building resilience. So Colleen, in today's episode, The Science of Habits, let's begin with this very question. How did we fall into bad habits and how do we stop them? Well, Nico, let's go to the fundamentals. We basically learn in four different ways. Classical conditioning, which a lot of us have heard of in terms of Pavlov and the dog, and that's a parasitimus response. There's also modeling and observation for what we see and do. There's operant conditioning, which is reward and reinforcement. And then, of course, instructional learning, like what we see from, believe it or not, the TV, parents, repeated messages, peers, teachers, and the media. However, in today's society, we use a learning style of trigger behavior reward, by and large, because we're living in a very different culture these days, especially with our handheld devices. Dr. Judson Brewer, uh, MD, PhD, mind you, is an internationally known thought leader in the field of habits of change and what he calls, quote, the science of self-mastery, unquote. Having combined over 20 years of experience with mindfulness training and his scientific research. I saw him speak at a conference a few years ago and I heard him say, our brains once kept us alive, but we have gone from survival to them killing us. That's an alarming point. And as we've said on previous podcasts, it's a stress-based response. As you've educated me on Colleen, the amygdala in our brain is on threat all the time. The brain is drawn to bad news. Over time, our brains adapt and they say, the next time you feel bad, given to XYZ vice, whether it's eating, drinking, smoking, overthinking, and you'll feel better. That's correct, Nico. And think about it this way. Maybe you're trying to lose weight or eat healthier. So you go from just physical hunger in our stomachs to almost an emotional hunger in our hearts and in our chests. I know a famous writer and educator in women's health runs retreats for women that overeat. And she always used to say, your world is on your plate. It's a very interesting thing that, again, when you're feeling stressed, there's a trigger behavior reward. So the stress is the trigger, the behavior is you eat, and the reward is that feeling of satiety or feeling of, you know, you get that little hit of dopamine from the fat or the sugar that you're eating, or even substitute smoking, for example, or drinking. You know, going back to these alarming facts, obesity and smoking are among the leading causes of comorbidity in the United States and the leading to be a preventable cause to morbidity and mortality in the world. So instead of fighting ourselves, 
or forcing ourselves to pay attention when we restrict, don't smoke, don't drink, don't eat, we tap into this natural learning system that we're about to explore. And really, it's how we got here to begin with. That sounds fascinating. I remember reading in your book, Prescription for Change, you say, give your brain a choice and you give it a chance. That's correct, Nico. Once again, see, people try and fail on average about six times to learn something new, especially when it comes to habits. So we know that smoking and over drinking and overeating is bad for us, but why can't we stop? Because it's become an automatic habit. We cannot remember every single event of every single day. It's just not possible. Our brains are not designed that way. Nor can we remember, let's say, for example, of how to relearn tying our shoes or getting out of bed in the morning and getting dressed. So we actually have to tap into this every day so that our brain does it for us. And once we look at that, because it can't remember how to learn to tie our shoes every day, it habituates it. And the brain says, oh, you do that every day. Let me just do it for you so I can free myself up for more important things. But this is where we need to break the cycle. So how do we break this cycle? Sometimes it's just so automatic. Yes, that is very powerful. Our brain is very powerful. But don't forget, we also have a roadmap to the brain. So this is where we interrupt that automatic, like smoking, drinking, eating, when we actually pause, stop, breathe, and try to pay attention. So for example, eating mindfully. I mean, I heard of eating mindfully. Can you give me an example? Yes, so we literally get really good at stopping, pausing, and really evaluating what the craving is. So first we have to recognize the craving and the urges, or for example, our thoughts and feelings. And once you become aware of your habituated reactions, that's when we have the opportunity for give the brain a choice and we give the brain a chance. So maybe you ask yourself, what am I really craving? What do I really want? Or why am I suffering? So for example, in my programs, we obviously get very individualized about what somebody is looking to work on, which is why I'm also trying to create an app. I know you've been helping me do that for a long time, Nico, but we use the power of the habituated brain to interrupt that old neural pattern and institute a new one. So for example, take smoking cessation groups, and that goes back to Dr. Judson Brewer and his clinic here at UMass Medical and in concert with Brown University. He actually teaches people A, to get into a parasympathetic nervous system by teaching the mindfulness and meditation. And then as they're smoking, he actually asks them via his very cool app, of course, okay, so what does smoking feel like? Well, it it doesn't really feel that good anymore. And I kind of smell like an ashtray and it's really expensive. And I'm even seeing here on the package, it causes lung cancer. So again, that's where we have to stop, breathe and reflect. And then while we're doing the behavior, we actually mindfully can reappraise it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's like using your acronym O-N-E in your book. 
O is to observe, N is to negate, and E is to echo. Precisely, Nico. So let's say I want to eat better. We learn to stop, pause, and reflect before eating that cake or the Cheetos. And granted, don't forget, food is very powerful because it turns into basically what our body wants, which is fat and sugar most of the time. And our brains are wired for calories for survival. So that's our primal brain. We also get a little hit of dopamine, right? But over time, reflecting on the reward is very powerful. So again, you O, observe your behavior, and then N, negate and reappraise the situation. And then of course, echo, which is the E, several times, each time eventually creating a new response. I'll restate the quote I said earlier from your book. Give your brain a choice and you give it a chance. That's right. And with a little coaching and accountability, like in one of my programs, you're on your way to a new brain. And that's also using mindfulness and cognitive behavioral therapy. I simply ask my clients to reflect and look at the value of their behavior. Does the smoking truly feel good, smell good? Or what's the cost financially or health-wise? The same with eating. I can't tell you how many times we have to look at, I'm literally going to the refrigerator. I don't want to eat this, but I can't stop myself. Learning to be aware of the cravings, learning to be aware of our behavior, and then breathing and reflecting to get into the parasympathetic nervous system, which again is the only time we are amenable to change, and you actually start to look at what we're giving a reward to. And, you know, I often refer to my my goldfish addiction, that of course is a joke, um, that I mentioned, I think last week in the podcast that, you know, okay, first I have one handful and yum and, you know, the bag's put away. But then that fat and sugar gives me a little hit of dopamine and mm, I want more. And then those little bugs in your gut actually need more sugar to survive. So I get more craving and then I eat some more and I get satiety and then the more the craving the more the satiation and next thing you know my entire hand is in the bag and i'm sitting on the couch but learning to stop pause and ask myself wait a minute what am i truly hungry for is it a physical hunger or an emotional hunger Am I stressed and just reaching for something to feel better? Again, sometimes when we're stressed, the body does crave sugar because it's a quick fix. And if we're needing to fight or flee, that's what you're going to crave. But mindfully calming yourself down, getting into the parasympathetic nervous system of rest and restore and rest and digest does actually feel better. And over time, your brain learns that when you're less stressed, you eat less goldfish crackers. I too have fallen for the goldfish crackers and they're so addicting and they're so small so it's easy to just eat so many of them. But getting out of that cycle, for example, takes practice. And you mentioned this during the primary foods and secondary foods episode and you just mentioned it briefly before, but considering what are you truly hungry for? In the primary foods and secondary foods, it takes into account things such as finances, career, education, health, physical activity, and home environment. But that's also why we have the journal at the back of your book. 
for reflection and the gradual shifting of ideas, thoughts, and behaviors. Yes, the beautiful journal that you designed, Nico. And that's also why we published a second journal that's just sold separately. My clients were so excited to keep up their new habits that they had just made via the journal, keeping them accountable and habituating the brain every day, that they didn't want all that work to be undone. So some of them have even bought three and four journals and really kept up that new neural pattern every day. And they've gained clarity into what they've truly wanted and of course saw the results of their actions and the old habits were replaced with new ones. And I believe when we are less stressed, we are reacting less, right Colleen? Exactly, Nico. And our cravings naturally diminish. And that's also neuroplasticity, right? We have to add the new emotions and the new cognitions. And listeners, don't beat yourselves up for old bad habits. You've been doing them and habituating them and reinforcing them for a very long time. Many, many years for some of us. So we can't change overnight, but we have to look at even self-defeating thoughts, not just the behaviors. You know, remember the phrase, I don't feel good, make it better. We just have to examine what's making it better. What have we given it and reinforced over time that we think is making it better? Because trust me, the 75 goldfish that I've sometimes counted out do not make it better. <laughs> and mindfulness helps us to see these thoughts and behaviors, our cravings, like goldfish, looking at each moment before we are overwhelmed by them. Yes, and if we learn to step back from that fear-based response of fight or flight and step into rest and restore, we can apply this approach. Like for example, responding impulsively to a text message or an email, or again, going back to eating, drinking, and smoking. It's that overactive thinking brain that causes us so much pain and suffering. We think all the time, all the time. And therefore you get really good at and also making that habit stronger so that we just keep running it in the simulator. Like I say to my clients, you're creating these mini Netflix series in your head, but it's just that. It's a little movie that you're running, but it's just all made up. So the next time she says this, I'm gonna say that. Or, oh, when my manager said this, I should have responded that, that way. That has happened to me a number of times before. Building on your responding to a text example, that also happens to me when I write an email. I'm really good at writing emails for other people. I'm known among my friends for that. But when it comes to writing an email myself, I start to fall into overanalyzing what person could interpret my message as. And then I start staring at a word and start to question whether it actually is a word. And it can be stressful. I mean, don't get me wrong, a little bit of proofreading and considering how the other person could perceive your message helps in communication, but it's when it interferes with the actual sending of the message that it starts to hurt you. So how do we remedy this? Well, Nico, that's a great example. And this again is where mindfulness and meditation comes in. So instead of lamenting on the past and predicting the future, we simply learn to stay. Every time you have a mean thought, you strengthen that habit. 
you strengthen that habit of meanness. So we get really good at the very things we're trying to stop. The things that are causing our suffering, in fact. This is why a simple exercise, such as writing down three things you are grateful for each day and expressing your gratitude could help strengthen that habit of appreciation, optimism, and even resilience. That's right. So on the flip side is not only are we learning to diminish bad habits and not give them so much energy and attention, but we're also looking at antidoting what, you know, the habit is, which is what you just said. We have to look at what we really do have in the here and now and appreciate the here and now. And of course, being optimistic for the future. But let's go back to the habits. How do we remedy these bad habits? When it comes to the initial bad habit, we are just lost in thought most of the time. So take somebody that overthinks, which is why I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist. Thinking gets us into trouble. Eating gets us into trouble. Drinking gets us into trouble. And then we have to look at where we're finding the relief, right? Because it's a craving, right? We get really good at craving and satiation. And then we keep doing it and we just make it stronger. So we just need to get good at paying attention and then reflecting and replacing thoughts and behaviors for new ones. And that's why we combine psychology, biology, and neurology to enact life changes that stick. As you say in your programs, all areas of life are interconnected. Could you speak more on that? Sure. In the programs, we use the psychology of the mind, the biology of the body, and the neurology of the habituated brain to, in fact, enact new lifestyles that stick. See, the posterior cingulate cortex is activated first when we get caught up in a craving. But using mindfulness and meditation actually activates the opposite network. So like I learned at the Benson Henry Institute at Mass General Hospital in support with Harvard University Department of Psychiatry, we actually look at pruning back that bottom-up network of thinking and eating and, and, and smoking and drinking. And as we start to develop new neural patterns, we don't reinforce the old habits and behaviors. And then as we reinforce the new ones, they get stronger. So, for example, you pay attention moment to moment, and that becomes yet another chance to stop the endless exhaustive habit loops. And eventually, you do start to feel better and true relief, not just the temporary short-term relief, like the texting, the thinking, the eating, the drinking, and the smoking. That's a great point, Colleen that you start to feel better in true relief, not just on the short term, but the long term. And that basically applies to change also, which is the foundation of the Restore Body Balance programs. If someone, say, a New Year's resolution comes along and they start to diet excessively, and then that burns out really quickly because they start to feel exhausted. It has to be more of a gradual change where they incorporate other elements into their lives so that the change is long lasting and it's six. That's right. And again, Nico, 
this is not something that happens overnight. When a client goes through a program, we tailor everything to what are they trying to accomplish, right? And when you look at that power of the habituated brain and then incorporating mindfulness and meditation, you actually start to look at what am I craving and how am I reinforcing it and how am I contributing to my um, suffering, right? So habits are simply the brain's way in some circles to just conserve energy, right? Again, we can't think of every single solitary moment and remember it's the excitable good and the excitable bad. So we take what was excitable bad, we try to make it less excitable and we take excitable good and we look at was this really good, right? Did I really need 75 or an entire bag of goldfish crackers? You know, so that's why being in the psychology with me of exploring where your pain and suffering is or where somebody gets stuck or where somebody's overthinking and then we look at the biology of the body like i just said in some forms is it you're craving a short-term fix you're craving temporary symptom relief with fat and sugar and then how the brain and the body react to that and form a neural pattern to say oh i got a little hit of dopamine or oh that actually tasted good and it's temporary so then we want more and then we want more and then it's very hard to kind of break that cycle but when we look at the wonderful habituated brain that we now know so much about it's just really a matter of getting painfully clear I know it takes time and that's why we have the journal on the back of the book, but it's really important every day, like we say, bookend your day. And you know, every time you build on, that's the whole point of the journal, we build every week. So the first week you bookend with meditation and mindfulness. The second week you add something, but you're building on the previous week. And eventually you just create the new neural pattern and the old one falls away because the new one is more rewarding. But again, we'll talk more about that in the next podcast. Exactly. So thank you, Colleen. Once again, we have learned a great deal on the science of habits and how to break the cycle of bad habits. And to our listeners, this is part of a science series combining psychology, biology, and neurology to use your lifestyle as medicine. If you tune in next week, you can learn more on the subject, the science of learning a very pertinent topic to today's remote learning environment. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Restore Body Balance podcast. To hear more about our programs, you can visit us on the web at www.restorebodybalance.com. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button to listen to more episodes on the Restore Body Balance podcast channel. See you next week.